0: Even if you don't know what a QR code is, you actually do. You've seen it hundreds of times. It's a printed square made up of black and white square pixels in weird patterns. They show up on ads, business cards, tickets, restaurant menus. You point your phone's camera at it, and boom, it opens up a website or a menu or a show ticket. Do you remember the day that you came up with this idea?
1: How old were you? Where were you? Uh, Yes, I remember very clearly. It was early 1993, when I was 34, and when I was playing a Go, which is a a board game, during a lunch break, the concept of putting black and white dots on a grid occurred to me. It's rare to find a
0: cultural element as global and ubiquitous as a QR code that was basically invented by one single guy. And today, you'll get to meet him. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science.
2: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well, inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: Season 2, Episode 13, The Man Who Invented QR Codes. Yes, that's right. I'm going to devote an entire episode to the invention of a barcode. I do realize that if I really want to soar to the top of the podcast charts, this is is not the right topic. I should do true crime or partisan politics or answer your sex questions. But you know what? I believe in myself and my interests. I have integrity, and so do you. So, barcodes it is. In your lifetime, you've seen thousands of barcodes on every single thing sold in every single store. Every bottle, box, bag, can, carton, container, crate, jug, jar, packet, pouch, pack, pallet, sack, and tube has a barcode. It's that little patch of thick and thin lines, stripes, like unevenly spaced fence posts or jail bars. The cashier scans that barcode, or you do, and presto. The cash register knows what item you bought and what the price is. And the store now knows that you've depleted its inventory of that item by one. In the pre-barcode days, the cashier had to look for a price tag on every single thing and manually type the price into the register, which was tedious and error-prone and gave you carpal tunnel syndrome. What I'm describing, of course, is a UPC barcode, universal product code. It came along in the 1970s when the grocery store industry decided they'd had quite enough of the old... Ouch! It was time to modernize. They opened up a competition to see which tech company could design the best scannable barcode. And in 1972, IBM was the winner. It designed this barcode based roughly on Morse code, with its alternation of short and long tones. Only this time, it was thick and thin lines read by a laser beam. And in the summer of 1974, the first store rang up the first sale of the first item ever bought by having its UPC barcode scanned. It was a pack of Juicy Fruit gum for 67 cents a purchase so culturally significant that there's a replica of that pack of gum in the Smithsonian. Now, at checkout, the UPC code was much faster and more accurate than human eye-hand coordination. But as human-computer interfaces go, it was really pretty crude. Problem number one, these barcodes are one-dimensional. If the code isn't perfectly perpendicular to the laser beam reading it, you get an error. Of course, IBM's design features two laser beams forming an X inside the scanner, so you can be a little sloppier with your barcode positioning. But still, it sometimes takes a few tries to get it to read. Problem number two was tolerance for errors. The UPC didn't have much, so if part of the barcode is torn away or smeared or partly covered by a Sharpie mark or an oil stain, the machine can't read it. And problem number three. The standard UPC barcode doesn't store much data. Its entire readout, in fact, is 12 digits. And the biggest number you can describe with 12 digits is 12 nines in a row. That's just shy of one trillion. It's 999 billion, 999 million, and so on. Everything sold in every single store has its own unique UPC number. A 20-ounce bottle of Heinz ketchup is always 13 For half-inch Scotch Magic tape, it's 212 41 So, in theory, the UPC system should be able to identify a trillion different products. Right? Wrong. Turns out the first six digits identify the company. The barcode for every product from Procter & Gamble, for example, begins with 003700, whether it's Febreze, Pampers, or Tide. Then the next 5 digits identify the product within that company's portfolio. Procter & Gamble, for example, makes Joy Lemon Scent Dish Soap 21737. Now, if you're keeping track at home, you may realize that we've now accounted for only 11 digits. Six for the company, five for its product. What about the 12th number in the barcode? That is a checksum, a digit that confirms that this is a real UPC code and that it's been scanned correctly. This is super wonky, but I'm going to get into this because it's kind of fascinating. To see if a UPC code is real, you add up the numbers in the odd-numbered positions and multiply by three. Then you add in the digits in the even-numbered positions, divide the answer by 10, subtract that answer from 10, and voila, you've just calculated the final digit of the UPC code, the checksum. Credit cards use a checksum system too. That's why you can't make up a credit card number. Just for fun, I looked up the barcodes one and 222222222222. 222 222 222 those turn out to be invalid codes because the checksum comes out wrong. 555 works, though. That's an actual product. It's an L-shaped pillow for breastfeeding babies called the Jolly Jumper Boomerang Nursing Cushion. See what you can learn from podcasts? Anyway, bottom line is that UPC codes will run out after far fewer than a trillion products. The limit is more like a few billion. And we're getting to that point. Have you seen how many flavors of Oreos there are? Over the years, various UPC code systems with expanded capacity have come along, but all those barcodes are still one-dimensional, error-prone, and limited. Which is why this episode is not about UPC barcodes. It's about their spiritual successor, the QR code. Now, you may or may not know the term QR code, or what it stands for, quick response. But you've certainly seen a QR code. It's that square, computery pattern made up of little black and white pixels that shows up on things like billboards, magazine ads, business cards, tickets, and restaurant menus. You show it to your phone's camera and it does something. It opens a web page with more information or shows you the restaurant menu. You might've used a QR code to check into a hotel or log into a website. A QR scan can pinpoint a location on a map, display a message or a picture, download a PDF file, auto-connect to a Wi-Fi network, or pay for something. QR codes appear in books. They show up on baseball tickets in Japan. You even see QR codes during TV shows or TV ads to scan from the couch. In some countries, during the pandemic, you had to scan a QR code at stores and restaurants to show that you were there for contact tracing purposes. In other countries, vendors set up entire virtual stores in train stations, basically a wall of photos of items you can order on the spot by scanning their QR codes. Nigeria, Russia, and the Netherlands have released bills or even coins with QR codes on them, which you can scan to read up on some historical national info. In China and other countries, QR codes serve as sort of interactive price tags. You scan the QR code for an item. And your phone says, pay 12 bucks or whatever. And with one tap, you've paid. This system is so fast and easy that almost nobody uses cash anymore in China. Stores, cabs, subways, movie theaters, street vendors, street performers, even people experiencing homelessness have QR codes for easy paying. So yeah, QR is everywhere. So what is this thing? Where did it come from? And who invented it? And is he a multimillionaire? Well, we found him. He's alive and well, in his mid-60s, living in Japan, surrounded by shelves full of awards. When you go to parties, when you go to meetings, do people know who you are?
1: Do they know of your achievement? Uh, yes, I believe so, especially these days. After I had the honor of winning multiple awards, people started to recognize uh, my achievement of uh, developing QR code so sometimes i was uh, i am asked to take a photo so gradually yeah people recognize this is the voice of masahiro hara the man who
0: invented the qr code actually it's not this is the voice
1: of masahiro hara so no maa
0: But in an unsung science first, I conducted this interview with him over Zoom with his colleague Yoshihiro Okamoto, serving as translator. Hara-san was born in Tokyo in 1957. Yeah, I'm going to refer to Masahiro Hara as Hara-san because in Japan, that's how you refer to someone with respect. San kind of means the honorable or good sir. So Harasan graduated college in 1977 and got his first job at Denso, a Japanese car parts manufacturer, a subsidiary of Toyota. He was still at Denso in the early 90s when the Japanese economy wasn't in great shape. Every company was trying to boost productivity. And you want to know what was extremely unproductive? trying to find the right box of parts on the Denso assembly line. Every box scrolling by had multiple UPC-style barcode stickers on it. You'd have to scan every one of them with your handheld scanner gun to figure out what was inside.
1: It was super inefficient and also a pain in the butt. There were cases where uh, we put the 10 barcodes side by side <laughs> and read it one by one. So it's very inefficient at that time. Harasan was 34
0: years old, and he'd had enough of scanning 8 or 10 stickers on every box of car parts. Did somebody ask you to create a new barcode? Was that an idea from your boss? Or did you just independently say, I think we need a better
1: barcode? Uh, The idea occurred to me on my own.
0: Do you remember the day that you
1: came up with this idea? How old were you? Where were you? Uh, Yes, I remember very clearly. It was early 1993, when I was 34, and when I was playing a uh, Go, which is a, a board game, during a lunch break, the concept of putting black and white dots on a grid occurred to me.
0: It may have been the most important lunch break of his life. Go is an ancient Chinese board game where you and your opponent each have these round white or black stones. They look kind of like Mentos or oversized M&M's. The object is to place them strategically on a 19x19 19 19 grid in such a way that they fence in your opponent's stones. If you saw a Go board after a game pictured side by side with a QR code, you'd definitely see the family resemblance. Anyway, the key to this Eureka moment was that UPC barcodes are one-dimensional. If the code were square, instead two-dimensional, you'd be able to store so much more data. So, Harasan told his bosses that he wanted to develop a new improved scannable code for Denso's car parts. As translator
1: Okamoto san puts it, When he decided to develop this, uh, he told his boss that he'll do it in two years. Wow, how long did it take? uh, uh, Exactly two years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The first challenge was figuring out how the scanner camera would know when it was looking at a QR code to differentiate the code from whatever text surrounded it on the page or the box. How could he teach the software to pluck out the QR code from its surroundings? And then, one morning on the train to work, buildings were flashing by, facade after facade, each full of windows in identical rows and columns. But suddenly, one building jumped out at him. In a bit of whimsy, the architect had designed the windows at the top and bottom of the building to be different shapes and sizes. Maybe that was the key. Maybe he could put special locator symbols, finder symbols, at the corners of his code that would tell the scanner, yo, start interpreting this as data. But what would
1: those finder symbols be? So in order to distinguish QR codes from letters and figures, Uh, I investigated various printed materials to find shapes that were rarely used in the world at that time. It had
0: to be a really unusual symbol, something that would never ordinarily appear in printed material. Otherwise, the scanner might try to read something that was unreadable. Harasan studied flyers, boxes, newspapers, magazines, and books in multiple languages, trying to find something that wasn't there, a symbol that no one was using. What he came up with was simple and elegant. A solid black square with a black frame around it, like a little cubist eyeball. A square inside a square. Turns out, that symbol almost never appears in any other context. It's not part of any alphabet. If you look at a QR code, you'll see three of these finder symbols at three of the four corners of the square barcode. Why three and not four? So,
1: um... QR code is a square, so if you know that, uh, you know, two uh, lines, you can define what is the other one, where the other one is, where the other
0: one is. (laughs) In other words, if the software knows where three of the corners are, it can figure out where the fourth one is. Did you try any other designs
1: that didn't work well? Other patterns? Other shapes? Uh, Yes, there are some other ideas, uh, especially for making a finder symbol. And, uh, for example, there was an idea to make it triangle or circle (laughs) in in the corner. But square worked better? Yeah, square worked better. Once the computer knows
0: that it has encountered a QR code on the page and knows where its boundaries are, it knows the code's orientation and it can begin to read the actual data, that
1: ocean of tiny square pixels. So a scanner, which has a camera, first takes image by its camera, Then it recognizes the finder pattern that we discussed uh, in the QR code. And from the three finder patterns, the scanner then identifies the outline of the QR code and read the black and white pattern of each cell. Then finally, it shows the characters contained in the code and it is done in uh, 16 milliseconds. The
0: software starts reading from the lower right where the very first cluster of dots tells the software whether this message is going to be a number, some text, or some Japanese characters. The next cluster of dots specifies how long this message is going to be, how many numbers or characters. The analysis zigzags through the rest of those pixels like a tractor mowing a field. It scans upward until it hits the first cubist eyeball, then turns around and scans down the next column to the left, hits the bottom, doubles back, and scans up the third column, and so on. Eventually, it encounters a special cluster called the end indicator, meaning this is the end of the message. But the scanning isn't over yet. At this point, the path continues with error correction data, kind of like that checksum digit in the UPC code, but much, much more detailed. It's, It's almost like a backup of the QR's encoded data. All told... A single QR code can store over 7,000 numbers, or about 3,000 typed characters. The grid of dots can be as small as 21 rows and columns, or as big as 177 by 177. The real genius of the design, though, is not just the amount of data
1: it stores. It's how fast and flexible it is for reading. QR code can store 200 times more information than barcode, And it can be read from anywhere uh, in 360 degrees quickly. And also, it can be read even uh, part of the code is damaged or covered with dirt, which barcode cannot. In fact, even if
0: you smudge or cover or tear away as much as 30% of a QR code, the information still comes through to your phone. That's how much error correction and redundancy is built into the design. Sometimes, companies dress up a QR code with their logo or some little graphic in the middle. I saw that on a cereal box recently. They can do that because of this error correction. The scanner says, oh dear, there's a chunk of this code covered up by some graphic, but I don't care. I can still get the data. You can be amazingly sloppy with the angle or the distance of your phone. That made it a huge hit in the Denso car parts factory you could reliably scan boxes that had weird shapes sitting at odd angles as they zoomed by on the conveyor belt. After two years of effort, Masahiro Hara had achieved his goal. Were your bosses very happy? Did did you get a raise? Did they have a party for
1: you? Um, Actually, my bosses were not so excited when I first (laughs) showed them the QR code. It is because they did not know uh, how much it would be used or generate new business with this
0: new code. Well, great. Two years of genius effort, and Harasan is rewarded with a big yawn from management. Obviously, there is more to the story. In particular, there were four seismic cultural events that changed the course of history and brought QR codes to global domination. I'll let you know about them after the break.
2: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Before we get back to
0: QR codes, I got to tell you something really funny. After we record an interview for this show, we feed it into an AI transcription website called Trent to convert it into a written document so I can write my script. The accuracy is not flawless, so I hire a wonderful person named Olivia Noble to listen through the interview and fix the Trent transcript. Now, Trent is capable of transcribing any of 33 languages, but you can choose only one language per recording. My conversation with Harasan included both Japanese and English, so I chose English and clicked Transcribe. Well, Trent did its best trying to transcribe the audio of Harasan's answers in Japanese into English syllables that sound like what he said, even if they make no sense as sentences. For example, when Harasan san said, <laughs> Trent treated him as an English speaker saying this.
2: Oh, and of course, they got like Scott Bakula crying.
0: That's Olivia herself reading these comic gems. Here's another one.
1: Or so we just got a kick out of my Yoda knuckles. I could not shake your head on.
0: And who doesn't get a kick out of Yoda knuckles? Okay, okay, Just one more.
1: I'm sure, according to psychologists and Uncle Sam, somebody just took our idea based on all the dictum, one of the most radical
0: terminology in the Middle East. So great. Well done, Livia. Okay, that was just a little comic interlude for you. Now, back to our story in progress. Harasan had indeed licked the problems of traditional barcodes. But his bosses failed to appreciate the QR code's genius and its
1: majesty. What they wanted to know was, how is it going to make us money? They did not know uh, how much it would be used or generate new business with this new code. And so they told me that uh, you should go to the market first, then see how the you know, potential customers respond.
0: So... Harasan took his invention to auto industry trade shows and gave
1: demos to potential clients. Fortunately, we got a very good you know, response from the potential customers. So that makes uh, you know, my boss's response gradually different. And there was a party uh, for me six years after the code was invented. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a little late. Once the Denso executives saw that the QR code had money-making potential, they made a crucial decision. Give away the technology. Don't defend the patent. Why did Denso make the QR code format available to the whole public? How would the company profit from the QR code becoming popular? As
1: Denso's, our company's strength is manufacturing so our strategy was to develop business is with readers, code readers, for QR codes. Oh, I see. So you give away the code, and then you charge for the reading machines. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's like uh, like razors and razor blades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so, too. So it's a similar model. Pretty soon,
0: all the car companies were using QR codes. Then advertisers. Then the Japanese lottery. The QR code was a surprise hit in Japan. And by the way, we call it QR code for quick response.
1: Is it a different name in Japan? What did you call it? Uh, In Japan, it's also the same quick response code. So we call it QR code too.
0: But becoming a cultural triumph in Japan is one thing. It took decades for the QR code to achieve full world saturation. And it owes that ubiquity to four seismic cultural events. First, the mad cow disease scare. Don't know if you remember that, but it was this horrifying neurological disease in cows that made them uncoordinated, nervous, or even violent. And then they died.
2: In 1996, a lethal new disease appeared in Britain.
1: The patients present with difficulties with balance and walking. The deterioration from first symptom to death takes only a matter of months. In the 90s,
0: a couple of hundred people died after eating contaminated beef. So there was a worldwide panic. Suddenly, it was really, really important to track every bite of beef from the farm to the wrapped package in the grocery store. The QR code was an ideal tracking system. The second big push came along in 2007 with the invention of the iPhone. Pretty soon, people could download a special app onto their smartphones and read QR codes just by pointing the phone. You didn't need to buy a special reader gun anymore. Sorry about that, Denso. The third huge event. In 2017, both Apple and Google built QR scanning right into the camera apps of their smartphones. No more downloading a special app. Somewhere along the line, 2017 or something, the phone could read QR code just by itself, just in the camera app.
1: Did they call you up and ask you about that? Did did you know that was happening? No, actually, they did not consult with us. But when this happened, uh, I felt very happy because I thought the QR code has been widely recognized all over the world.
0: Today, you just open your camera app and point it at a QR code. You don't even take the picture. Instantly, a button appears showing the website that will open when you tap it. And the fourth big push was a little thing called the global pandemic. During COVID, nobody wanted to handle a restaurant menu that might be infectious or to pick up a brochure or whatever. Everything went touchless. The solution was QR codes. Point your phone at a laminated card on the restaurant table and the latest menu or wine list appears on its screen. It saves the restaurant money, makes it easy for them to update the menu, and keeps your grubby mitts off of physical menus. Suddenly, QR codes went mainstream. Today, Masahiro Hara is still working at Denso after 46 years, and he's still developing the QR code's successors. Like, what if you could wear a QR code on a bracelet or necklace with all your medical records?
1: What I am working on now is to put information about uh, someone's X-ray data or, you know, heartbeat data. So uh, when uh, someone goes to the hospital, if he or she can show that kind of information, have a a smooth and quick uh, diagnosis in the hospital.
0: He's experimented with color QR codes, too going beyond black and white to pack even more data into a tiny space, maybe even full videos. And he's already introduced the SQRC, the secure QR code, where part of the code is encrypted and can be read only by a special scanner.
1: As a result, it is used for amusement park tickets
0: and also food traceability. Of course, once you've got a secure portion of the code that can't be faked or duplicated, all kinds of possibilities open up. For example, you know those employee security badges that get you into secure areas of a building? Harasan has come up with a way to make them unimpersonatable using those same SQRCs. It works like this. Your employee photo is embedded into the encrypted code on your badge. Now you show up for work at the nuclear facility or gold bar storage company or whatever.
1: To verify the person, he or she goes in front of the camera and holds the code held over the dedicated
0: reader. At this point, a camera compares what you actually look like standing there with the stored image of your face on your badge. And if they match, you get to go in.
1: You can even use this system in an environment not connected to the Internet. So as a result, uh, this system is used for access control or in novices, or it can also prevent uh, impersonation.
0: Your QR code obviously became very successful. Was that because of your skill and your good ideas, or was there some part of
1: luck and timing? Uh, it was my idea to develop a code that can be read quickly and reliably. Uh, but I was very lucky to be able to develop this before a cell phone or smartphone with cameras become popular.
0: I've heard of QR codes appearing on gravestones, which seems surprising, but also a very
1: good idea. Um, have you heard of any crazy examples of people using QR codes? Uh, yes, I have seen people with QR code tattoos on their oh. bodies <laughs> in Japan in year uh, 2004. Then I heard their contact information is in there, so they exchange their contact information by using their tattoo.
0: <laughs> that seems like a pretty cool idea. As long as you don't think you'll ever move or change your phone number for the rest of your life. Oh, wait a minute. No. If your address changes, you just edit the website that opens up when you scan the QR code, like a restaurant changing its prices. Duh. Did you have an idea that this could be very big?
1: Uh, the answer is yes and no. So when I went to trade show and uh, showed, showed the especially industry use customers this QR code, I had a very good response. So I thought it can spread uh, in industry use, but uh, I could never imagine that uh, it would be spread, you know, for the you know usual consumers. So that was totally surprise to me.
0: I'm delighted to have met Masahiro Hara truly one of the unsung engineers of our time, and to tell you his story. And when you look back over the arc of his career, I think one profound adage really sums it up. In the words of the Trent transcription,
1: But the real concrete sketches on display? Your eyes.
0: As I said goodbye to Harasan and his translator, Okamoto-san, Harasan had a little surprise for me. Young people today, they might have posters on the wall of their sports heroes or their music heroes. If I had a poster on my wall, it would be of you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for interviewing me. That's Harasan himself speaking his own English.
1: Oh, you didn't tell us you (laughs) speak (laughs) English. (laughs) Actually, he (laughs) can. I'm a happy that you are interested in QR code.
0: (laughs) You've just listened to another episode of Unsung Science with David Pogue. Don't forget that the entire library of shows, along with written transcripts, await at unsungscience.com. This podcast is a joint venture of Simon & Schuster and CBS Sunday Morning, and it's produced by PRX Productions. For Simon & Schuster, the executive producers are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and Morgan Church. Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music. Our fact checker is Christina Ribello. And Olivia Noble fixed the transcripts. For more of my stuff, visit DavidPogue.com or follow me on Twitter at Pogue. That's P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and follow Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, will you?
2: If you like Unsung Science, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey